feel like all these lines are just crossed all the time. I don't know. The internet's just so big. It's like you're on this giant planet of fuckery and it's just impossible to feel protected. Just us having this conversation is so important so we can start to learn like the loopholes. Because like you said, knowledge is power. In this episode, we will be discussing the legal hoops of being a professional slutpreneur and all of the rights we have in the sex industry, as well as artists and creators in the e-commerce space. It's so important to know your rights because if you don't know, you just don't know. So with that being said, I'd like to introduce my legal counsel, who is also my guest today, Goddess Jeanette. Welcome. Well, thank you, Anna. It's wonderful to be here. I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast. And I want to preface all of this by saying nothing that I share today is legal advice. Everything I'm sharing is just general information about the laws and how they can apply to you or maybe cannot apply to you. And if you need legal counsel, you need to hire an attorney. I don't represent anyone listening to this that I know of. Well said. Well, I also wanted to just say thank you again for reaching out to me on OnlyFans. It is the first time a lawyer has tipped me just to ask to be on my podcast. And I think that's kind of the coolest thing in the world. I absolutely love how you share all of your trade secrets. That's what you're doing. And that's one of the intellectual property rights that we'll talk about today. Uh, You give away your trade secrets. And I love love that you're empowering others to follow in your steps and you're showing them how to do it. Well, speaking of empowerment, I want to ask you why this is so important to you and why you would come on here and give away your trade secrets for free. I have a soft spot in my heart for small businesses, for entrepreneurs, for anyone in the industry who's working in any industry, working on their own and cutting their own path. I think that the after dark arts are underrepresented in all legal industries and they're Mm -hmm. stepped on. And I want to make sure that everyone knows their rights and their powers and what they can stand in and what they can't and how to use their powers for good to protect themselves, to protect their cash flow, to protect everything about their business. Nothing that's done in the after dark arts, unless it's child pornography or... Right, the illegal stuff. The illegal stuff, is exactly. As long as you are operating a legal business, you have Mm -hmm. rights. And I want to make sure everyone understands what those rights are so they can stand in their power in business and stop others from stealing from them. Right. And you mentioned to me the other day, not only do you want to know your rights, but you want to fucking capitalize on your rights, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Intellectual property rights become capital assets if you register them. And I think a lot of people don't know this. When you have a copyright registration, it goes on your balance sheet. It's an actual asset. You can use it to get a loan for your business if you are opening up a new warehouse or purchasing new film equipment and you need some collateral and you don't want Mm -hmm. to use any of your inventory or business accounts as collateral for a loan because then you can't dispose of them. Uh, You can use your registrations, your copyright registrations, your trademark registrations, your patent registrations. They can be used as security for all of that on top of adding value. Yeah, I I feel like this is almost forbidden. Like, getting the real tea from a lawyer because you go into a lawyer's office and you have to like either pay them a retainer or there's all these like sugarcoating of words they can or can't say. And especially in an industry that gets so shamed for, I still almost don't feel comfortable asking you stuff straightforward because I feel like it's so taboo and I couldn't imagine someone like myself coming into a male lawyer office for the first time and having the confidence to do that. So I'm kind of curious, like what your experience is being like a sex positive legal counsel. Absolutely. So the taboo have rights to, and just because something is stigmatized doesn't mean it doesn't have a right or a power. And I think this information is missing from the industry. I see it all the time. 
uh, with images shared that are beautiful, incredible, artistic images. Are they sexplicit? Yes. But they're gorgeous. <laughs> and someone else takes it and posts it on their site and they're making the money on it. Or at the very least, they're diverting money away from the original owner. And all of that can be stopped if you procure your intellectual property rights. You couldn't have said it better. Would you like to share your experience in internet law with everybody? Internet law is my experience. I'm an intellectual property attorney and intellectual property has five different categories. It has patents. It has trademarks, trade dress, trade secrets, and copyrights. And all of those rights can be stepped on through e-commerce. So that's my connection to internet law is more through the intellectual property rights. And if you want, we can go through those rights real quick and what they cover. I definitely want to go through those five rights. And I wasn't sure if you needed to preface the difference between them domestically and internationally, because I know that can be a, a big issue sometimes. Oh, that's very true. That's a great point. Let's talk about that. So with all the rights that I'm talking about right now, these are U.S.-based rights. Intellectual property rights are federal rights, meaning it's not governed at your state level. It's governed federally. So I'm an attorney here in Illinois, and I can help anyone anywhere in the United States with their intellectual property rights because it's not state-specific. They are country-specific. So Canada may have different rights than the United States. Mm -hmm. Europe may have different rights than the United States. Now, there are treaties and agreements between all the countries that allow paths for rights to easily flow from one country to another. But if you are an international star, you should consider protecting your intellectual property in all the countries where you are popular, if it's not just the United States. That sounds like it would get expensive. It can. It can get really expensive. Copyrights are the least inexpensive right to procure. Mm -hmm. uh, the United States Copyright Office charges somewhere between $45 and $65 to register the copyright. And your attorney time is on top of that. Typically, it's about an hour. That's not bad at all. It's not terrible. The copyrights are the most inexpensive and they give you a ton of power. They last either 70 years after you die, if you <laughs> register it in your personal name, or if you register it in your company name, it's 95 years from your first date of publication or 120 years after you create the work, but it's whichever one of those comes first. So it'll die sooner rather than later. Um, and that's wow. pretty, pretty general, I think, for the internationally as well. They, they last a long time and they're the least inexpensive right. And they're the easiest, in my opinion, to get. Okay. So what do copyrights cover? Copyrights cover artistic works, anything artistic. And it doesn't matter if you're doing it for business or not. If you create something artistic, whether it's a photograph, a video, music, a sculpture, you write a book, um, although books have to be in three in order to get a copyright on it, a registrable copyright. What about like a meme? Possibly. Um, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. So the artwork behind the meme can be copyrighted, but the slogan on it cannot. Copyrights don't protect short slogans or words. They do protect poems. That's interesting. Okay, so that's one of the five. Is there anything else that pertains to copyrights that you feel is important? Uh, software as well. Software can be copyrighted. And it's, again, it's the, the easiest and the least inexpensive to get. And that's one of the three soft intellectual property rights that we'll be talking about. And soft means that it doesn't require any technical anything behind it. Like, it's not an innovation. It's an artistic work. And so they consider it soft. Okay. So I know just off the top of my head, I know that trademarks, that's another one. Yes, you're exactly right. Trademarks and trade dress, which is a subcategory of trademarks, are also soft IP. So these are the three of the five are soft. And trademarks govern what you use in commerce to identify you as the source of your goods to the public. The whole public policy behind trademarks is public protection. It's basically so they know who to go to to sue if they're 
injured or harmed in some way. And that's different than copyright. Copyright is meant to protect the author of the work and protect the author's profits from the work because it's an artistic work. Uh, Trademarks are meant to protect the public so that the public knows who to go to. And in order to help with that, the government will let you register your trademark and stop others from using your same trademark in your goods or services industry so that the consumers know who to go to if they're hurt. And this can be kind of clear as mud. We have Delta Airlines and Delta Faucets, right? Both of those are registered, same name, Delta, uh, but they're for two different goods. And so they're allowed to exist together. That's interesting. I've never heard of trade dress. That just is a weird name to me. Sure. So trade dress is how a product is dressed. And if you can, or a service even, if you can identify the product or the service by its look, only its look, no insignia, no words, you've achieved a trade dress right. So the the most famous example is the Coke bottle. Mm -hmm. If you see a glass bottle sitting on a beach, you can immediately point out if that's Coca-Cola product or not, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. one of the most famous. Some other trade dress are, you know, there's there's a coffee cup that's white with a green circle insignia. What brand is that? That's Starbucks. (laughs) Exactly. Without seeing the logo, without seeing any words on it, you just see the white coffee cup with green, boom, Starbucks. So that's how it's dressed. Well, hopefully if someone saw a tongue with money on it, with which is our logo, maybe that'll spark attention down the road. Everyone will know it's the slutpreneur. <laughs> that's right. Well, and that's that's more of a... so Like a logo. Lo- that's not how you dress. So your trade dress may be your hair color. Mm-hmm. That if they see someone from the back with the the dark and light contrast in the hair, because you have it very light around your face, right? And it's kind of darker everywhere else. If they see that with the long hair from the back, they can immediately identify that's Rebecca Blue. Yeah. Or Christina Aguilera. (laughs) 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 So what is next of the, the magic five? Let's talk about the hard IP. And those are trade secrets and patents. All patents start out as trade secrets. So what is a trade secret? This is what's giving you your competitive advantage. This is what makes you uniquely you, your business uniquely your business, how you're gaining space in the market and how you're keeping that space. Sometimes your trade secret is patentable or should be patented, and sometimes it shouldn't. So for something to be considered a trade secret, it needs to have three things. It needs to have a commercial value. And if somebody will take you out and buy you dinner to learn it from you, it has a commercial value. It has to be secret, meaning you have to be working to actively keep it secret. So no posting about it online, no giving away the secret. And the third is it has to not be known by the public. Okay. That's a two-prong kind of a thing. So if the public can't figure out how you're doing what you're doing, And if they don't know how you're doing what you're doing, meaning someone else hasn't figured it out, then it's not in the public domain. That's a a good point, because a lot of uh, my followers will ask me, like, how do you sell weird things on the Internet? So is that a trade secret? It would have been. And then you gave it away or at least parts of it, (laughs) uh, at least parts of it you've given away for free. And I love that. I love that you're you're helping others come down the same amazing path that you've blazed on your own. Mm-hmm. But yes, that would be your trade secret, what you're selling, how you're selling some other trade secret information that you should never give away is who your client list is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who you use as your vendors, uh, your fi- company financials. Okay. Anything proprietary to your company that makes you the profit that can be a trade secret. So with the patents, is there anything in like the sex industry that a patent would pertain to? Absolutely. There's all kinds of everything that you can patent in the sex industry. So all patents start out as a trade secret, meaning that it has to be secret before you get your patent. And that is different than copyrights and trademarks. And then the subcategory of trademarks, which is trade dress, which can be registered as well. Those three, the soft IP, you can use those 
before you register them and have no problems registering them at any later date, unless someone else has using it and is trying to register it, then you have to get into a fight about it. But generally, there's no statutory limitation that would stop you from registering those even 30 years after you got the right to them. What if I made like, like um, a pocket pussy that was my vagina molded into one? Is that something I can protect or is it automatically protected in a weird way? It could be automatically protected by copyright because it's an image of you. Okay. It could definitely be patented. So the intellectual property rights, let me take a step back. They can be layered on top of products. So if you have a a product like a pocket pussy that you come up with and you've figured out a way for, let's say you figured out a way for it to um, get moist on its own or something, maybe that's already patented. (laughs) We're going to assume that's new. We're going to assume that's new. Okay. All patents start out as trade secrets, meaning you can't tell anybody about this without a non-disclosure agreement or confidentiality agreement in place, because it has to be secret at first in order for you to get the patent. There are some countries like the United States that give a grace period if you do end up telling someone about it without confidentiality, but the majority of the world is not that way. It's called absolute novelty. And I know China requires absolute novelty, I think Europe requires absolute novelty as well. So it's just best to keep it secret. In the United States, they give you a one-year grace period from the first time you've disclosed it. But just remember, all patents start out as trade secrets. So you've developed this pocket pussy that has a way of uh, self-lubricating. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out, is it worth trying to patent that that new innovation of how it's self-lubricating? So the first thing we're going to look at is, can someone figure out how that's actually work? how it actually works? from the product. And most mechanical products, you can figure it out from taking it apart and reverse engineering it. And so if that's the case, yes, absolutely protect it by a patent because once it's put out into the public, you lose your trade secret, right? Trade secrets, you need to keep it secret. Okay. So for that innovation, it would be patentable and there's no worry of obscenity to an extent for patents. So it wouldn't, you wouldn't be stopped. Like the first amendment free speech, right, is limited by this obscenity limitation, but there isn't such a thing with your intellectual property rights. And so you could patent the the mechanism that's producing the lubrication. You could patent the method for making the pocket pussy itself. It might be protected by copyright, depending on how artistic the pocket pussy is. Maybe it's got some amazing artwork on it, in it. Maybe it's colored interestingly. Maybe you've made it glow in the dark. You're giving me so many good ideas. (laughs) Did we discuss trademarks yet? We did. And you're right. And let's talk about that because that would be another layer that you could put onto your pocket pussy. Like the name of it? Yes. Well, pocket pussy may be close to being like a fanciful mark. Definitely don't call it, you know, a movable pussy, like, because that's descriptive. That's just generic. And it's just merely descriptive. And typically, you cannot trademark something that's merely descriptive. But if it's fanciful, pocket pussy might work. Okay, well, let's talk about the horny stoner, because that was a big topic for you and I when I told you it got declined when I tried to, was it trademark it, not copyright? Trademark. That's right. So what happened there? Was that like a discriminatory thing because of weed and sex or like what, what's the boundary with that? So this is a fascinating area of law and it's constantly evolving, constantly changing. Thank God. (laughs) Yes. And the rights are being continually expanded in this area, which is wonderful. They're not being restricted. They're, they're moving outward. And what happened with that is they didn't like that you were offering for sale cannabis items and items for smoking anything. The trademark office had looked at it like, okay, you're offering items that are for an illegal and illicit purpose. You can't do that. And that's not true. Just because an item may be used for an illegal purpose doesn't mean it will be used for an 
legal purpose or is illegal itself. That's not true. There's a handful of things on the planet that are illegal to smoke, but there are billions of other things that are completely legal to smoke. I can step out into my garden and pull leaves off of any bush I have, as long as it's not marijuana, right? Or poppy. (laughs) Or poppy. (laughs) And I can dry them and smoke them. If I want to smoke the Kentucky bluegrass that I got growing in my yard, I can do that. And it's no, there's nothing legal about that. And I could use your products to do that. Right. Well, coming from me, the the average person who's not a lawyer, it was frustrating because I was working with a lawyer who was very against me moving forward, saying how unlikely it was. And it's really difficult to decide what's it worth to push it through. Is it going to just cost too much money? Or is the brand's trademark so important that I should dump a thousand dollars to get the office to review it again or however much it costs. Like, where's that fine line? Is it the lawyer who's not giving enough information that's just kind of like, do what you want? Or is it the office's fault for not giving you the groundwork that you need to know to send it through the first time? Like, it's just this big gray area. (laughs) So, first, let's talk about what the United States Patent and Trademark Office's job is and what the Library of Congress's job is. So copyrights are recorded with the Library of Congress and patents and trademarks, including trade dress, is recorded with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And so if we understand what what they need to do, what their duties are, we can make sure that we're giving them the information to show them that what you're doing or if they register whatever it is that you have with them, they're not breaching any duty that they have. And so with these offices, they're not allowed to register anything that's illegal federally. These are federal rights. And we have states right now that have allowed cannabis, all kinds of things that were once illegal in the state, but they're still illegal federally. So the Patent and Trademark Office is going to make sure that they're not breaching their duty and not granting something that's federally illegal. Okay, we can help them with that. We can show them how it's not federally illegal. Then they also have a duty to make sure that they're not granting you a right that they've granted someone else. So they're going to look for that too and make sure that whatever you're trying to register with them has not been registered by someone else. And if they come up with something or something close, they're going to want you to put on record how it's not. And a lot of their rejections may seem harsh or intense. They want you or your lawyer on record saying how they're not breaching their duty uh, because everything we put on record actually kind of limits your rights and limits things and can be brought up in litigation. And that's a whole rabbit hole we go down another day. But they want you to put on record your thoughts and your arguments as to why they're wrong. Well, do you think it's more difficult to find legal counsel in the internet space than just the regular business space? I think no. I don't think that's the crux of the issue. I think the crux of the issue is finding an attorney that really understands all the parts of the law and really understands what their job is in the industry. So let me take this a step further and I'm collecting my thoughts. While you digest that, let me kind of what I'm thinking is in the internet space, it crosses the state lines. So to me, that would make it more confusing is someone stealing your images. If it's from a different state, you know, I I just feel like it's an extra layer of legality. Intellectual property rights are all federal, meaning that it must cross state lines. So in order to get a federally registered trademark, you have to do engage in interstate commerce. You have to sell things across state lines or across the border into another country. Patent rights are federal as well. So I don't think that the issue is at all understanding state level laws versus federal level laws. I don't think that's the issue at all. I think the issue is having an attorney that really understands why the the office's submit the rejections that they do. And it's really to protect their duty that the United States Patent and Trademark Office has a duty 
to make sure that they're not breaking any federal rules, that they're not stepping on somebody else's rights, and they're not giving anyone a right that is already in the public domain, meaning everybody has the right to do something and now they're going to limit it to one person. They can't do that. And so if you go into your prosecuting these matters, understanding that, it makes the prosecution easier because you can see, okay, well, I just need to show the trademark office that none of these three things or the patent office none of these three things are going to happen if they register this. And if you can show that, then they're happy to register it. And at the end of the day, it has to be fair so that it's fair. To everyone. I agree. Yes. Yeah. So the juice I really want to jump into is wherever you feel like it's better to start if one leads into the other. I think a lot of people want to know, is there content on the internet, especially like OnlyFans, for example, is it automatically copyrighted. I think a lot of people's biggest fear is people taking their content and redistributing it. Or my other road I wanted to take this down was with the whole DMCA takedown notice, because I think that goes hand in hand. um, And that's kind of a big discussion as to what it is, how we can utilize it. Basically, if websites are stealing your content first, before we jump into like if people who are trying to be manipulative with your content stealing it. This, this falls under copyright. Oh, this will be copyright or trademark issues. Um, before we jump into this, though, you asked a great question about determining whether a business, it's valuable to a business to dump money into fighting the rejections from the, oh, yeah. the offices. Mm-hmm. And the value of that really depends on your business and what you're doing and whatever right you're going after, how much of your business it protects. And so that all has to be looked at to determine whether it's worth dumping a thousand dollars into your trademark or not. Now, one of the things that you should think about, trademarks last forever. As long as you use your mark, whatever it is, whether it's a a word, an image, a non-traditional mark, like a color or a smell or a texture, as long as you're using it, you keep your trademark forever. So trademarks are a front end load, just like patents. It's a front end load. You have to pay for it all up front, but the value can last for as long as you're in business. And that again, depends on your business strategy and what you're doing. I may be biased. I think it's worth spending up to $5,000 on a trademark, 10000 if you're a small business, depending on what you're doing and where you're going. And if you're an internet, you want to go international or not, I think it's worth it. There's a other side to that because when I started my small business, it was like, oh my God, LLC fees, buying product, buying shipping supplies. And I didn't know, you know, I was trying to copyright and trademark my name and logos before. I think I did it too soon because I was always so worried about if I was doing everything legally correct. Because when you're selling stuff on the internet, it kind of feels like you're doing something illegal, like just making money from home. It can seem too easy. And it wasn't till I started reaching six figures that I was like, okay, I guess this is kind of serious. And seeing other accounts using similar names I had, I was like, no, this is my shit. This is my brand. And I reached that threshold. So I definitely don't think like if you just start a business, I don't know if it'd be the best idea to try to research that immediately or until you feel like your brand is well known enough. That's a hard line to draw. You're right. That is a hard line to draw. And it's it's one that needs to be thought about. And intellectual property protection strategy just needs to be laid over what you're doing along with your budget. And I encourage all small businesses to set aside 5 to 15% of their budget, even if their budget's just $100. Set this aside, build it up, and make sure that you set you have cash there sitting there to register your copyrights, which is not very expensive, to register your trademarks, which is more expensive, to register your patents, which is uber expensive. But start setting that aside and you can do little things along the way. You can set up your contracts. You can work with an attorney to uh, teach you how to register your copyright. You can, you know, you can move up the scale as things go on, especially with the soft IP, because there is no deadline for you registering. It makes it a lot easier for you to assert your rights against someone else if it's registered, but you still have a right the minute that you start using something in commerce to identify your business 
or the minute you create an artistic work. And I think this is a great segment into the OnlyFans because this is what you're asking. Right. The minute that you create an artistic work, the minute that you take that picture, the minute that you finish your drawing, the minute that you come up with that song and write it down, as long as it is in a tangible medium, that means it can be passed from one person to another. It doesn't matter how, it just needs to be able to be passed from one person to another. You have copyright rights to the artistic work immediately. And you can force someone to take it down. And you can use the DCMA through OnlyFans. I did check out OnlyFans and they do have that. Most of the social media platforms have the DCMA available. So what is the DCMA, right? I have it pulled in front of me because I I cannot memorize what that is. It's the Digital Copyright Media Act. And what it does is it takes away the liability of the platform for an infringement when a copyright or trademark owner submits a claim saying, hey, that person is using my stuff, take it down. As long as the platform takes it down, then you can't haul the platform into court when you, if you end up suing the person using infringing your stuff. Okay, so I'm going to go on Pornhub right now. And at the very bottom, I see a content removal which basically takes me to a page to put the URL and they kind of have to obviously review it. But if I'm not mistaken, let's see if OnlyFans, if they have one on there. Um, they do. They do. It's, okay. Uh, DCMA all the way at the bottom of the page. It's on the bottom right hand side. And it's, that's the same thing. I think the Pornhub is also using the DCMA takedown strategy as well. And so how this works is you submit a form and you tell them exactly what the content is that's yours, that someone else should not be able to share, repost, or whatever. You certify under penalty of perjury that yes, you are the owner of the intellectual property rights because they don't want people going in and hurting other businesses by submitting false claims. I don't know when this DMCA thing started, but For sex workers, it's like, hurrah, we finally have something that fucking protects ourselves. Spring is in the air, lovelies, and with it comes a fresh wave of energy, blossoming flowers, and endless possibilities. But you know what puts an extra skip in my step? My fabulous partners at Viahemp. Trusted by a whopping 250,000 plus goddesses just like you, Viahemp's products are just like a magical wellness wand in a bottle. Feeling a bit frazzled after a hectic day? Cue the Via gummies for instant relaxation. Battling stress and anxiety? Don't worry, there's a gummy for that too. And for those intimate moments, Via has concocted something truly special. High Love Gummies, infused with pleasure-boosting cannabinoids, libido-reviving herbs, and just the right touch of THC, these gummies are your ticket to an electrifying experience between the sheets. But wait, there's more. Via offers an array of other gummies, with or without THC, catering to every goddess's needs. Whether you prefer a subtle 2mg dose or a bolder 50mg kick, Via has your back. From improving sleep to sharpening focus or aiding in recovery, there's a gummy for every occasion. And the cherry on top? You can easily browse and shop their collection online, categorized by strength and effect. And here's the best part, darling. Via ships discreetly to all 50 states, right to your doorstep. No medical card needed. So go ahead, indulge in a little self-care spree with Via Hemp, because you deserve nothing but the best, goddess. Head over to viahemp.com and use code goddess to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies 21 and up only that's viahemp v-i-i-a-h-e-m-p.com and use code goddess at checkout please support our show and tell them we sent you take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from viahemp now back to the show so i think this is just so important for anyone listening who makes content to be very familiar with this and to take urgency and action the moment this happens with something you're familiar with, because we all have that moment where it happens and it makes you feel vulnerable, exposed, and 
from my experience as well, the second you file that and it finally gets taken down, it's like, got your power back. And they must take it down if you submit it through that in order for the platform to avoid liability, meaning for you to not be able to sue them along with the infringer in court, they must take it down. And then they will give the other side a chance to respond. And they do that as well to stop anyone from using this to damage businesses. So if the other side responds and says, oh, no, this is my content, they would have to provide some proof showing how that content is theirs. And if they win, the site will put the content back up, but they must take it down. That's all part of the requirements under the DCMA, and it is a valuable tool for any creator. Okay, so I want to to, to ask what happens if they don't take it down then they wouldn't be able to avoid liability. But would the model want to like sue the person? I mean, because then a model's like, what can I do if I can't afford help to fight that, I guess? Hiring an attorney is always the best. And we're not all super expensive. We're not. (laughs) Uh, Keep Mm -hmm. looking. If you call someone and they want, you know, $10,000 to send a cease and desist and to assist with the takedown, like, no, keep, keep looking. Someone will do it for a lot less. You can send a nasty gram. I call them nasty grams. They're a cease and desist to the person that is using your your content and threaten lawsuit. And if, if the platform doesn't take it down, I think they haven't done what they needed to do. They haven't met their obligation under the DCMA for the DCMA to protect the platform because that's what the DCMA is for. Yeah, at that point, I would go on Twitter and raise a shitstorm tagging and direct messaging the uh, the platform. Sometimes you have to make a little noise to be heard. And that noise works. Mm-hmm. It does. So then if you have these rights, the the minute that you produce something in a tangible format, meaning it can be shared, here's one example of something that's not in a tangible format, open mic night. If you go to open mic night at a bar and you get up on the stage and you improvise a song and it never gets written down, you have no copyright to it because it can't be shared. You know, like all these little hidden uh, <laughs> like ways to teach things that make so much sense. I love it. Thank you. I want to read you my legal note on my OnlyFans description and then kind of coach me if this is um, legality correct. I was about to say politically correct. I don't know what the term is. Um, Legal note, all content published on this OnlyFans account is exclusively copyrighted material belonging to Rebecca Blue. Rebecca Blue fans may not distribute or publish any content from her account including but not limited to videos, photographs, and other such content that is posted here. Violation of this will result in legal action. Any harassment of any kind will result in immediate termination of your membership. I think that's perfect and beautiful. You've put the public on notice that that you are claiming all your rights. Um, that's a big part of intellectual property and protecting your rights is letting people know that you are claiming your rights and that these rights are yours. And once they have notice, then they can't say that they didn't know. Not that intellectual property law is an intent-based law. Um, it's not. But if you take someone to court and you can show that they infringed your rights, any of them, pick one, patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade dress, and you show that they knew that the information was yours or owned by you, and yet they still stepped on your rights, it's called willful infringement. And you can ask the court to award you triple whatever amount you've been damaged. Hell yeah. That's what I like to hear. (laughs) You've put everyone on notice that, that these rights are yours and they can't say that they didn't know that the rights were yours. Okay. So I will put that little legal note in the description of this episode if anyone would like to use that. Let's jump into fans redistributing profit, profiting on it. I mean, I know this is a whole can of worms because there's a difference between fans doing this and also companies doing this. So I'm kind of not sure where to start because I'm not sure what happens more. I think every model has experienced someone coming to their OnlyFans, like screenshotting what they need and then unsubscribing, posting their content on Twitter and sharing it with the world and not 
knowing what they can do if it's someone anonymous. And I think we discussed with the big companies, you can do the DMCA. And that's kind of a quick, easy, efficient way to do that. But you can't really do that with a person on on like a troll on the internet. So we know you can copyright the content. Where do we go from there? What the fuck do we do? This is a great question. And I want to take a step back before we address this, because I want to talk about why you should register your copyright anyway. So you have the right immediately, but you don't have as much power until it's registered. And so if you register your copyright within either three months from the first date that you published it or prior to someone infringing your rights, you get statutory damages. Meaning when you go to court, you don't have to prove how much that other party injured you. And this is a huge power because it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to try to prove how much someone damaged you. If you meet that that requirement to get statutory damages, meaning you've registered prior to the infringement, you don't have to prove any of that. The court will just award it. And then if you can prove it's willful, they triple it. Wait, let's pause that. If it's a model on OnlyFans, what exactly are they, do they need to copyright before they have this power? Like, is it the images or their name? Because I, the images. well, I'm saying, I'm saying if this happens to a model, someone screenshots their OnlyFans pictures and posts them on Twitter, do they need to have some sort of copyright or trademark before they can pursue this person? No, they don't have to have it, but it's much more powerful if they do, because you still have the common law. But what exactly would they copyright? The image itself. You would register the image and you can register collections of images. You can register collections of anything. Well, okay. Well, that's where it's kind of fuzzy though, because if you're constantly posting images on your OnlyFans, you what you couldn't go to the you know do new copyrights every week does that make sense it does it's uh it's a difficult road to balance on i just think most models aren't going to copyright all the content they post so i'm trying for them i'm wondering what power do they have if it's not copyrighted is there anything in their power in that uh, scenario Yes, that you can still use the DCMA even if you have not registered your copyright. That still applies. It. Um, I'm trying to remember if it applies for trademarks as well without it being copyrighted. But if it's an image, I know copyright is, uh, it doesn't have to be registered for you to enforce your rights through the DCMA. Okay. I guess my my attitude about this comes from an experience I had on Twitter where I got a new subscriber on OnlyFans. He's messaging me on Twitter asking for more. And I'm like, you can do it on OnlyFans. And then he's like, well, if you don't, I'm going to post your OnlyFans content on my wall. And I'm like, "Uh, you can't do that. I block him and then I log in to another Twitter account to see if he posted it. And of course he did. And he's just reposting and reposting And it took me about 10 reports to Twitter over and over because if you just report someone's account, nothing happens. But having to prove to them that he was doing this maliciously and reporting his account in every which way possible, he finally got it taken down. But in my eyes, I'm like, he can just go on another Twitter account and do this again. And A, why isn't Twitter being more protective of their users? And B, if I had reached out to OnlyFans, they couldn't have done anything because it was on Twitter. And I feel like all of these lines are just crossed all the time. You know, he could have submitted some stuff to Pornhub and I wouldn't have known ever. It's just this huge, I don't know, the internet's just so big. It's like you're on this giant planet of fuckery and it's just impossible, impossible to feel protected. So I guess my advice without being a lawyer is to go to the support in every which way possible, make as much noise as you can. But I think just us having this conversation is so important so we can start to learn like the loopholes and the the further information. Because like you said, knowledge is power. Um, and it, it was just such a confusing situation. And not having anything copyrighted, I just assumed I couldn't do anything if the platform didn't take it down. That's not true. You do still have rights. Did you use the Twitter's DCMA or, or DMCA? I think I've been dyslexic this whole time. DMCA. <laughs> uh, did you use them to take that 
path to take it down or was it just like a general content violation? And I can't remember it perfectly. I most likely you probably use that form too, but things weren't happening as fast as I'd like them to be. So I ended up reporting his account and the malicious conversation that he had with me on Twitter is more of like, if you don't pay me, if you don't send me nudes, then I will post this. What would you call it? Like a threat? I think that's what got his account suspended faster than just being in line with all the other DMCAs. So that falls into the extortion category and it's federal because it's across state lines and extortion is federally illegal. It's legal in every state as well. Every state has different laws and definitions for extortion, but generally if a threat is made for you to do something in order for the threat not to happen, that's extortion. In some states, it's known as blackmail. And if you have that going on and you want to uh, make a police report about it, you can. Okay, because I was wondering if that happened and nothing came of it. It's like, do I call 911? Do I go to a police station? Like, they're they're not going to take me seriously. So you would call the Federal Bureau of Investigation and report their it to their Internet Crimes Division? Really? This is so important. Anyone listening, like, get a pen and paper because I... <laughs> If it's across state lines, which it most likely is because it's happening on Twitter, that would be the the FBI that would deal with those kind of extortion uh, investigations and you submit your complaint and it's a criminal complaint. So once your complaint is submitted, you're done. Then it's on the government to take the case up and find out who's doing it. And you get into the same issues that you have anytime you report a criminal complaint, right? Will they do their job? Will they follow through on a lot of this? They won't. And then we have the stigmatized adult after dark arts on top of it. You have the right to submit your complaint. I recommend that you submit it because if they may find that it's a certain individual that's repeating this kind of behavior and they won't know that unless people are submitting the complaints. So one thing I recommend is don't get discouraged if if, they, if you don't see anything happening. Make the record of it because you never know who that person is behind it. I would like to share with you somewhat of a blackmail situation I experienced right when I started. Uh, I think it was webcamming. And the client eventually got my email because we were discussing a private show. And he screen recorded the show without my knowledge and eventually use that as blackmail saying, Hey, if you don't pay me X amount of money, I'm going to leak this. I'm going to sell it. Yada, yada, yada. And it scared the living heck out of me. I stopped replying and he just kept emailing me minute after minute. And it got so bad that he started emailing me my phone number, address, bank account info. And I lost my freaking mind. Thank goodness someone lived with me and I felt protected, but I was not smart. I was using an email address that was linked to all these things. He clearly must have been some kind of hacker. Uh, and, it, and it was very dangerous. Uh, and I did not want to go to the FBI or anything uh, with this kind of threat. And what I did in return is I kind of backlogged his email and his name and his username Eventually, it led me to a college address, like a .edu. So the next day, I ended up calling the school. I had found an article about him and kind of sent them screenshots of his behavior. And I just have my fingers crossed to this day that maybe something came of it. But looking back, I wish I had spoken up and figured out what I could do. But being an 18 year old and feeling like what you're doing on the internet is wrong enough. It, it was just terrifying. And I had to sleep with one eye open for months after that. The FBI has a whole section about internet crimes and extortion. All this falls under that. Okay. And you can send them the information. Again, you never know. You never know how many people this person is doing this to. And if everybody spoke up, they would most likely take action. The same with your state police. You could make a report with your state police. They probably will say that they don't have jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. 
I love that you reached out to the college because that, <laughs> that can be a very persuasive tool to get it done. Colleges have certain standards and they expect students to abide by certain rules and rules of civility. And while they have no duty to do anything to the student, they probably will because what they don't want is a student graduating from their college and then that blackmails little girls. <laughs> yes, exactly. They don't want that. No one wants to say that Jeffrey Dahmer graduated from their school. That's a really good point. And it really opened my eyes to being so much more careful about what email addresses I'm using, what names are on my accounts. And, you know, we discussed that in safety and other episodes. But something I learned recently is about this geotag on Snapchat. I'm not that big of a Snapchatter. I'm not sure if you are, (laughs) but apparently in your location settings, if they're on and you go to this map on the Snapchat area, you can see where all your friends are like on a freaking map. And some people don't realize that it's on. And if you are using your Snapchat as a form of, you know, talking to clients, they can see where the fuck you are. And that's an issue. So go to your locations, go to the settings, turn that off. Go through your Instagram photos. Make sure you are not, your location isn't tagged in any of them. And then go as far as going to your tagged photos when your friends tag you in a photo, making sure that the school you go to isn't tagged or the park or coffee shop you frequent every day. And that is just something I wish someone told me when I started because it can prevent a huge issue of someone knowing where you live or where you are and using that as blackmail or assault. And, you know, then we're back here figuring out how we can charge them. So since then, I think these are newer laws. The revenge porn laws have come out. Have you heard about revenge porn laws and what they stop? I'm trying to think of what celebrity that happened to. Because I know that that Apple leaked a bunch or something like someone got into it. There's a website that's cybercivilrights.org and they have a list of the four. This is a state issue. Uh, This is not a federal level crime or a federal level law. This every state has their own version of the revenge porn laws. And you can use these laws to bring a criminal action at the state level as well. And these may not have been in play for you 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very new. Oh, who was it um Black China and yeah. Rob? I think <laughs> that's who it was. <laughs> I think so. And so if yeah. uh, even with you, so yeah, you had a paid show, right? He paid you to do your personal a personal show. It was a mm-hmm. personal show. And I do believe that the revenge porn laws would apply here as well because it was meant to be private. He made it not private. And he had no right to do that. Now, the revenge porn laws, we're touching on criminal law again here. Okay. This is an intent-based law. Extortion is an intent-based law as well. A lot of the crimes, nearly, mm, it's not everyone. And I'm not a criminal lawyer. Okay. I should preface that. I have criminal experience. I did my externship at the public defender's office and steeped myself in criminal law because both trademark uh, infringement and trade secret infringement, and I believe copyright infringement, they all have a, a sector of criminal law along with them that somebody can be thrown in jail if they in a, misappropriate someone else's intellectual property rights. There are criminal charges for these. It's, it's rarely used, but it is there. Mm-hmm. So with that whole big caveat, the criminal laws are intent based. And so they have to show like you would have to show or the state would have to show it's not you for criminal, it's your state bringing the charge or the federal government bringing the charge that the person had an intent, an intent to do harm. And so one of their defenses with that is, well, I never intended to share it. It was an accident. Now with your guy reposting on Twitter multiple times, I think that that argument would fail. Um, mm-hmm. that, that That's a good point. Would fail that it, you could show that there was intent there. Okay, I have one more scenario I'd like to share. And before that, I also learned that if you do decide to do a live show, like on Skype, uh, in particular, you can have your client screen share their screen with you 
so that you can see what their desktop looks like during the show. And once I learned to do that, I could see if he was screen recording the show while it was happening. And there was an instant where he was. And I said, no, no, no. If you want to pay 10 times as much for this live show so you can keep it and rewatch it, we can discuss that. But you are paying for a live show, not a recorded show. So that's also another way to protect and prevent that fuckery from happening to you. Uh, So the next scenario I have is a quick little sugar daddy scam where I was very naive and I started dancing in the sugaring world on seeking arrangements. And some beautiful gentleman came across and said, you know, hey, I want to spoil you with gifts and pay off your debt in return for just some texting and communication every now and then. And I thought I hit the lottery. Little did I know he would be so generous to send me his bank account and routing information, encouraging me to just pay off any student loans or any large credit card. And I knew it was too good to be true. But me being curious, I was like, let me just pay off like a $100 credit card to see what happens. So I put in his banking information and it works. It goes through. And the next few days, I got a little bit greedy and might have done it on another card or two until I got a call from the credit card company saying I was being charged a reverse bank fee because the bank I used didn't have enough funds. So I thought when it went through the first time that it was a legit bank account, little did I know you could put in any bank account info, and it'll probably go through on that first push. So while this was all going on, this sugar daddy is telling me, you know, you should be so grateful I'm doing this for you. In return, I want you to send me just a few like $50 Google gift cards. And at that point, I was like, okay, something's happening. There's absolutely no way a sugar daddy would want a sugar baby to send him money. So I Google sugar daddy gift card scam. And my whole (laughs) world just stopped spinning because it is the grade A classic sugar daddy scam. They give you bank information in return for you to send them gift cards. So rule number one, never send anyone else money if you're in this industry and you're getting paid for what you do. There's absolutely no point in doing that. Secondly, I should have just Google or what is it? The Google image reverse search. I should have done that at the beginning because when I did that at the end, I realized he was totally catfishing me and using some guy named Farmer John on Instagram using all his photos. I DM'd the guy's photos he was taking and the guy was like, that is not me. Like run for the hills. And so lastly, before I tried to get all this information together, call my lawyer at the time. And I was just crying. I said, I can't tell my partner. I feel so stupid. This is what happened. What rights do I have? Like I didn't do this maliciously. And the first thing my lawyer says is, well, you're going to jail for fraud. (laughs) And he was joking, but I wanted to ask you, I know that was a very crazy scenario that could be case by case, but I'm sure someone listening that's either happened to them or they avoided it. And thank God, you know, I saved the conversations. I called my other credit cards before they could charge me these reverse fees and said, hey, the incorrect banking info was put in. Please put it on my other bank account. Some of it had already processed, but they eventually reversed. But whoever's bank account information the sugar daddy stole, he could be going after so many girls doing that. So I wanted to hear your thoughts about that. And I I feel so embarrassed for even sharing that. So... I love that you're being authentic and genuine and never stop because that's how people learn. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> they don't know. Right? Like how great would it have been had you talked to somebody prior to that happening saying, hey, beware of this. I know. Well, that's why we're here. <laughs> so a couple of things. First, cash is king. Get the cash. And we have all kinds of apps now. We have Venmo. We have Cash App. We have, I can't even keep up, PayPal. They'll pay. I pick an app, right? So we have cash apps like that where you can tell the person to send you the money. Well, I want to pause right there because PayPal and Venmo, I recently found out, are two places where a client can open a chargeback. 
So if he buys a nude from you and then a few days later he opens a case with PayPal, PayPal is going to honor him because in their privacy policy or whatever, no sexuality at all. And then they're going to cancel your account and take whatever money you have in it. And I've heard that with PayPal, Venmo. uh, But right now I know that Cash App is really strong and Amazon gift cards are really strong. So I just wanted to throw that in there before before someone goes and does a PayPal transaction. I hadn't considered the the chargeback issue. That's a great thing to highlight. Yes. OnlyFans does not, though. I believe OnlyFans takes on anything. Like if someone does a chargeback, OnlyFans eats it, I believe. Yeah, I think we looked into that and... We're going to say we're 99% sure because in the settings of your account, you can see who's been opening chargebacks. And I'm not sure if there's a difference if someone opens it because they feel they didn't get the content they were promised or if it's because someone used a fraudulent credit card to make that transaction. And hopefully if we were to you know, send OnlyFans a message, they could clarify that more because it's very vague in their policy. But you did mention, you said, okay, cash is king. So in that scenario, make sure you're getting cash first. And not an account number or a credit card yeah. number. Don't get either of those. Get cash. Get Have them send you the money. And they can send it to you through OnlyFans as well. I believe OnlyFans takes a cut. Yes. But if you get to keep what, what does come to you, it's worth giving up a cut in my, my personal opinion. 1,000 million percent. But could I have gone to jail for fraud? Hey, no, because, am I am I admitting to fraud too? Like, are they just well, gonna this, take me away tomorrow? <laughs> this is all hypothetical, of course. Everything that we ever discussed on here is all hypothetical. So, uh, it was an induced. There was no fraud. You have to again. You have to have. I believe fraud is an intent statute. And let me look that up while we're talking. Okay, but there is no fraud because you. You did nothing. You were told that you had permission and you believed you had permission. Could you see me in court like crying in a little mini skirt? But it was my sugar daddy. (laughs) Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it has to be intentional. Ford is fraud. Okay. Fraud is one of the intent crimes. So it had you have to have had intent to deceive. And you didn't. You thought you had permission to to do what you were doing. And so no, I think that I mean, would they have hauled you in and talked to you? Probably. Would they, you know, could they could the police haul you in and talk to you? Yeah. Uh would they charge you? But they should be going after him though. I mean, he's obviously the one trying to get freaking gift cards, which is just sad. So sad. But hey, he's hustling. I won't knock it, but hustle legally, please. Like fair play. Come on. And uh, so so if you get picked up for a crime, uh, we can talk a little bit about this. If you get picked up for a crime like this, um, first contact an attorney and don't say anything without an attorney because you might say something innocently that they can twist against you. I always have to lay out that caveat. Always have an attorney. What uh, right is that to not Okay, that's the um, Fifth Amendment. You're testing my constitutional law. (laughs) (laughs) Right to remain silent. That's Um, what it is. So Fifth Amendment right, right to counsel, but that doesn't kick in. And we can. This is an interesting fact that I think everybody forgets. Your Fifth Amendment right to remain silent does not kick in until you are arrested. So actually. If someone, if your employer or someone you know accuses you of a crime, even if it's your best friend or your mom or something, says, I know you did this crime and you remain silent, they can actually use that silence as evidence of your guilt in court because you didn't deny it. I know, right? <laughs> That's what I when I learned that in law school, I it knocked me over. Like my head exploded. What? So your Fifth Amendment right to remain silent does not kick in until you are arrested. So until you are arrested, deny, 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 deny. Even if they have you on camera, deny. You make them prove their case. Then once you're arrested, you shut up you say and i think yeah those documentaries on netflix like making a murder is point blank why you shouldn't talk because they will just create create what you did if that's the case yes yes that happened so 
the knowledge from this episode is going to save some time and money. I am sure of it. I'm so, so grateful you reached out to me. I just almost peed my pants when I read your message. So thank you for coming on the show. And I'd love for you to tell everyone your socials so that we can continue to reap the benefits of what you've learned and to help our community and just show our appreciation in return. I am so grateful. Thank you for letting me be a uh, guest on your podcast. I, the dream of mine is to help everybody level up and be at the same level of understanding of their legal rights as yes. everyone else is. You can find me on basically every social platform except Snapchat. I'm not on that one because I don't understand it. So, uh, but you can find me everywhere. You can find me on TikTok at Braun Law. You can find me on Facebook at Braun IP Law. I, I is an intellectual, P is in property. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Law Braun. You can find me on Instagram. I think it's Braun.Law. If you just stick in Jeanette Braun in the internet, you'll find me. Okay, so that's B R A. It's B R A U N, like the color brown in German. Wow, that's sexy. Well, thank you again. Is there anything else you want to leave the slutpreneurs with? Rock on, ladies and gents. <laughs> ladies and gents, rock on. All right, everyone, go make that money. And thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>